Well, good morning. Welcome back and uh, looking forward to continuing our study in the book of Acts this morning. So if you've got your Bible ready, maybe you've even got your cup of coffee, as I do, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We began the book yesterday by uh, pointing out a couple of things. First off, that this is a continuation of Luke's account of what happened both in the gospel uh, period when Jesus was in his earthly ministry. And then this uh, book of Acts continues on what happens after the resurrection, uh, including uh, such uh, huge events like the birth of the church, uh, Paul's conversion, and uh, it includes lots of information about the various churches that Paul would write to later. Uh, it brings, um, uh, brings to light the uh, gospel going from just being predominantly Jewish focused to coming to the Gentiles uh, with, uh, through Peter in Acts chapter 10. Of course, Paul then continues his ministry to the Gentiles later on as well. And um, so the book of Acts is an exciting, kind of breathtaking book that transitions from the gospel period to the period afterward. And the book itself was called the book of Acts, typically thought of as the Acts of the Apostles. Although, as we said, it's probably better uh, known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, uh, ultimately working through the apostles and forming uh, that uh, that ever-growing body of believers, the body of Christ. And so, all right, so last time uh, we left about verse 3, and we're going to pick it up right there as well, where uh, Luke records that he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he spent uh, 40 days with them. So you have the crucifixion, which coincided, by the way, with the Feast of, uh, the feast of Passover, uh, the offering of the Lamb. Of course, you recall how at the beginning of uh, the Gospel, how John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this, uh, this taking away of the sin of the world, this dying of this, this uh, slaying of the lamb, as it were, uh, pictured so often throughout the Old Testament through the constant, um, uh, probably it's worth talking about, I guess, for a minute. I shouldn't assume. Uh, for any maybe who aren't this familiar with the idea of Passover, um, uh, back in the days when uh, Israel was enslaved to Egypt, um, there was the time when God or it came to the time when God was going to deliver them through Moses. And of course, if you've ever seen Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, and if, or, or if, more fortunately, if you've ever read that passage back in Exodus, um, you know that um, there was the ten plagues that God brought down upon Egypt. Uh, God sends Moses, tells Pharaoh to let my people go, and uh, Pharaoh refuses. And so God begins to strike Egypt with a number of plagues. By the way, these plagues were not random plagues. Uh, when you consider the different uh, um, assaults upon Egypt, you know, the locusts, the Nile turning to blood, uh, frogs, darkness, things like this, every one of those plagues was actually a direct assault on some of the various gods of Egypt. So they were not random, they were actually a message that God was sending, uh, letting the Egyptians know that he alone was the Lord and that their gods were nothing. Uh, and secondly, sending a message to his people that the gods of Egypt were nothing, but their God, the God of Israel, uh, had come to deliver them. And so uh, in the course of these plagues, the last of which is the death of the firstborn. Now, in that instruction, uh, the Israelites are told to take a lamb, to 
uh, to slay it, to take some of the blood from that lamb, uh, catch it in a basin, take a hyssop branch, and to dip it in that basin of blood from the lamb, and to strike the doorposts and lentils, or you know the you know, the door jams of their homes on the outside, essentially. And what would happen that night is that the angel of death would fly over Egypt and would take the lives of the firstborn in Egypt, except for those, uh, not except for the Hebrews, because they were covered by the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And so the angel of death would pass over those houses. Now, interestingly, there's really no reason to believe that if the Egyptians had not also followed some of that, and there may have been some Egyptians that were aware of what God, obviously they were all aware of what God had been doing to Egypt uh, over these plagues, but it may have been that some Egyptians thought, well, man, okay, well, I'm going to, I heard the Hebrews are doing this, so let me do this as well. It may very well have been that some Gentile uh, uh, Egyptians uh, may also have been spared during that time if by faith they followed what God had said. And so, and likewise, if any Hebrew had rejected uh, that plan that God had laid out, uh, then the firstborn in their homes uh, would have been lost that night. And so the whole idea of this was that uh, life came through the shed blood of the lamb, protecting them from the death, that uh, from death as God had sent this plague. And so this Passover reminder was celebrated year after year after year in Israel, uh, always looking forward to the day when the lamb would come to take away the sin of the world. Uh, now, of course, so much of that was enshrouded in mystery to the to the Jews, but John, again, uh, coming back to what we mentioned a moment ago, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and points him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had come to fulfill that which had been, done, uh, had been uh, seen in type throughout the Old Testament. And so, <clears throat> so the crucifixion takes place on Passover, very specifically on Passover so that it would fulfill the picture that God had been painting throughout Israel's history. So Jesus dies on Passover. He rises three days later on the Feast of First Fruits, And then 50 days later, as we'll come to it uh, in the book of Acts, is the Feast of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is then poured out upon uh, the believers. In between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost is this 40-day period of time uh, where after Jesus rose from the dead, uh, as he appears on that resurrection Sunday to so many that we read about at the end of the Gospels, you know, the women coming to the tomb to, to, um, to properly give him the, the, the burial that he deserved. They had to hurriedly do this uh, because of uh, uh, the Passover and the Sabbath and all of this. And so they had to make sure that they buried him, but they did it very quickly. And so they came back on uh, that morning of the Feast of first fruits, and they were going to give him a proper uh, anointing and burial and such. Well, it turned out he was not in the tomb. And so as he appears to some of them uh, in that moment, uh, uh, later on that day, he appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then later on that day, still, he appears to the disciples, the apostles themselves in the upper room, the 11, actually. Judas had, had killed himself by this point. So now there were the 11 in the upper room. And so Jesus appears to them. Well, from that point, over the next, over these 40 days, starting on that day, uh, he um, teaches them and appears to them and demonstrates through many proofs that he is in fact alive. It's in fact him. He's not dead, he's alive. And uh, why 40 days? You know, that question comes to mind. It may have come to your mind. It's come to the minds of many. And there's lots of answers why that could be. Um, 
you know, it, it's, uh, it's really not clear. The number 40, uh, in terms of a period of time, does seem to appear often in the scripture, and not just in periods of time, but uh, in other places as well. The number 40 figures prominently. You know, we think about uh, the rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights in the days of Noah. We think of um, uh, Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan for 40 days. And so we see this periodically throughout uh, you know, Moses in the wilderness uh, for 40 years after he kills the Egyptian. He flees from Egypt and he becomes basically a shepherd for 40 years until God calls him. Um, uh, Jewish law required that uh, that you that uh, as as punishment you cannot be lashed more than forty times. So there's there's different speculation as to why the number forty figures so prominently, and uh, um, but it's unclear. There's there's it, why it's forty days here. One day in heaven, we'll see what that pattern was all about. But it's hard to really pin down why it was exactly forty. Uh, you know, it doesn't land right on Pentecost. It's actually you know, 10 days still after this when Pentecost finally fully comes. Um, so anyway, we can speculate, but we don't want to be dogmatic about it um, because the scriptures aren't. And so we don't really know why it's 40, but for 40 days he teaches them and then he ascends into heaven, uh, uh, as we'll see here in just a moment. So, but he does tell them in the midst of his teaching them and demonstrating uh, through all of these proofs that, that he is there. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem uh, during this time. He is teaching them also about the kingdom of God and everything. They'll ask him about this uh, in just a moment, as we'll see as well. But he says here in verse 4, that uh, verses 4 and 5, that they are to wait in Jerusalem until they're endued with power from on high. Because as you have heard me say, and as John the Baptist even said in, John, in uh, Luke chapter 3, where it's recorded, um, G, uh, John came to baptize with water, but there's one who comes after me whose sandals I'm not fit to untie. Uh, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so Jesus here is reiterating that and, and explaining to them that they are to wait until that power from on high comes uh, with the Holy Spirit when he arrives. And so, um, and so that being said, uh, we move into verse 6, where it goes on and says, So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So... The idea of the kingdom was something that was prominent in their minds. When Jesus, it became clear to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Their natural hope was that he had come to restore the kingdom. Uh, all throughout their history, they had waited for Messiah to come and to bring them deliverance and to establish his kingdom from which Israel would, you know, um, be restored to glory and all of these things. Uh, and so, and that, that became a sticking point when it came to Jesus' earthly ministry, because when he came the first time, it was not to establish his kingdom um, the way that they had been anticipating, but first to deal with uh, not overthrowing Rome, but overthrowing a far greater enemy, that of sin and death. He came to conquer the greatest of all enemies first. Uh, and having done that, he returns to heaven and will one day return, as we'll see referenced here coming up in the passage, whether we get to it today or the next time. But, but that idea of his returning yet again to establish his kingdom is something that will happen. Here in this point, right after his resurrection, as he spends these 40 days with them, they ask him, will you in, in fact restore the kingdom then? And Jesus will tell them it's not the time for them to know these things, or they won't know the time. But... The fact that they're looking for the kingdom, and the, uh, this is a literal promise of God to, to Israel that is made many times and references to this kingdom that they're talking about, that which we would call the millennial kingdom. 
the Millennial Kingdom is important, and we talked about this previously and actually did a, a little short three-part thing on describing the Millennium. But one of the reasons that the Millennium is such an important uh, theological truth is because it is a it, it, it is necessary because it is the fulfillment of what God has promised to Israel. Uh, I think I've mentioned before, but you would be hard-pressed outside of the person of Christ pictured throughout the scriptures. There are few topics that are spoken of more in the scripture than the millennial kingdom. Uh, the restoration of the kingdom spoken of so often throughout the Old Testament, asked about here in the book of Acts, and then fulfilled uh, there in, uh, in Revelation 19 and 20 when he establishes the kingdom and rules and reigns. Uh, and so when we talk about the millennium or the kingdom of God, ultimately that is not just sort of like the idea of, hey, um, salvation and that kind of a thing. Certainly that all comes together. But the kingdom of God, uh, as, the, as, as they understood it, was something they understood from what God had said about it. Uh, in other words, they are very rightly waiting for a literal kingdom to be established with Messiah sitting on the throne. Um, and the disciples, having gone through Jesus' entire ministry with him, and now uh, very shortly from this point to be commissioned and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go, they are still thinking of the kingdom. Now Jesus will essentially allude to the fact that their, their, their focus needs to not be so much on when that happens, but on the work that's going to be at hand. But in no way does he diminish the idea that there is not going to be one. He says, look, that's for the, the Father knows the times for those things. That's not a denial of that happening. That's an affirmation of that happening. Just don't worry about it right now. There's other work to be done before that happens. But God knows the time when it will come, and it will come. And so there's, there's a, uh, we, we can expect a literal fulfillment of these promises of the kingdom being restored to Israel, ethnic, national, Hebrew Israel. Uh, uh, and so um, this, and again, as we've mentioned many times when we talk about sub the subject of prophecy, uh, end times prophecy is extremely Israel-centric. And so when it comes to the kingdom, this is one of those facets that, uh, that demonstrates this. And so, um, but they're asking about the kingdom is a very valid question. But Jesus will answer here uh, in verse seven. And he says to them, uh, it is, or he said to them, that's my Chicagoism coming out. So he says to the guys, but so he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the commission to go, Jesus told them at the end of Matthew, we, we, uh, Matthew's account records how Jesus told them that they were to go out and make disciples, go out into all the world and make disciples of the nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that he had taught them. Well, here now Jesus tells them a little bit about how that's going to begin to spread. It's going to begin in Jerusalem where they are. Uh, when the day of Pentecost comes and, they, and Peter shares this message, as we'll see in Acts chapter 2, uh, thousands come to be saved that day. And so in Jerusalem, the gospel has begun to uh, spread. And then from there, it goes into all Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so has the gospel spread and continues to spread to this day. This is the work that he wants them to focus on. Now in uh, John 17, which is a passage we'll start to look at this Sunday in our, uh, in our fellowship. Um, in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, 
as he prays for the disciples and those who will believe uh, as a result of their testimony, he prays for them and 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 the fact that they're not to be taken. He's not asking for them to be taken out of the world, but just simply that they're protected from the evil one. The implication being that while they are here, while we are here, uh, serving him and being about his business, occupying ourselves with his business until he comes. He's asking for protection, but we are to be implied in that is the idea that we're to be um, about the mission. And so Jesus begins to explain to them that this is how the gospel will begin to to spread to the ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth, but is contingent upon the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower them for this work. Uh, what they're going to face, things that Jesus has talked to them about before he was crucified and before the resurrection. Uh, again, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through this in the Upper Room Discourse as Jesus begins to share about his leaving and what's going to come and including the persecution, alongside of the persecution that's going to come, is also going to be the coming of the Holy Spirit to give them, uh, to lead them into all truth, to not only be with them, but to be in them, uh, and so on. Well, this is going to be vital, not just for the first century believers as they began to share the gospel, but just as important for us as 20th century and 21st century believers. We are, um, we are uh, in, in just as much need of the Holy Spirit's unction, his anointing and power to do the work that God has called us as they were then. Um, we may be more, uh, we may feel like we're more sophisticated because we've had 20 centuries to study the word and we, we have all of our uh, intellectual understanding of what the scriptures say and, and all these kinds of things, but that in no way diminishes our need for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do that, which God has called us to do in bringing the gospel to the world. It's not just a, a physical effort of our designs and planning and plotting, planning and, 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 and such is not invalid it's not like we can't do those things but in the same uh, but but in the same way they relied on the holy spirit so too we need to as well and so he says they're to wait until the holy spirit comes uh, there in jerusalem and so uh, he goes on and when he had said these things uh, as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven and as he went Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into, the heaven, into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, um, as Jesus is speaking these things to them, these last words, wait until you're endued with power from on high, he begins to ascend into heaven. And... Uh, uh, and as they're watching this, they're seeing Jesus in his glorified body. He's been walking with them and teaching them and demonstrating the reality of his resurrection. And uh, he's really there. All of these things to his followers over these 40 days. It's presumed, by the way, that it's during these 40 days that the various witnesses that, uh, uh, that, uh, that Paul talks about, including like the 500 who saw him at one time, likely took place during this 40-day period. Uh, when Jesus in John 16 talks about speaking to them plainly, no longer in figures of speech, but plainly, he likely shared very directly many of the things he wanted them to know and to prepare them during this 40 days as well. Uh, and so, but now the time has come for him to ascend. And as he ascends into heaven, as they're watching this, marveling at what they're seeing, all of a sudden it, there's two guys all of a sudden are there in white robes, angels. And uh, we presume they're angels, and uh, a reasonable presumption. But these two men are standing there in white robes, and they tell them, 
Why are you gazing up into heaven? He's coming back just like you saw him rise up, he, uh, just so like you saw him ascend, so too he'll return. Uh, this again is uh, a prominent feature of the gospel message that Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, and he is going to return. Uh, in, in Luke 21, uh, verse 17, uh, we, they will, you know, when he comes back, all will see him uh, returning in power and great glory. Uh, Jude, uh, verse 14, the idea of us, of the Lord returning with ten thousands of his saints, you know, will return with him when he comes. But uh, the angels here are letting them know, hey, he's leaving. But even so often as Jesus would say, you'll see me, but then again, you will see me. I'm leaving, but you'll see me again. Here they remind them that just as you've seen him ascend, so too shall you see him return in the same way. And so um, much to be said about the idea of the return of Christ. No doubt we'll come to that as we continue through the book of Acts. Um, but there we go. We got to actually as far as verse 11 today. And so we're going to go ahead and pick it up in verse 12 uh, next time we are, are here in the book of Acts. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. It depends. Uh, there's other things I want to periodically sprinkle within. But, um, uh, but God help us to, as we were just saying, learn more and more of our need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Not to do things in the strength of our own flesh, but rather to remember that we need the Holy Spirit's power to fulfill the ministry that he's called us to. And that ministry ultimately, whatever specific thing we might be called to, ultimately all ministry that we're called to, whatever it might look like for you and I personally, is all part of the overarching gospel ministry. The idea of making Jesus known to the world around us, that they might too be saved just like you and I. So. Let's pray for that right now as we close out. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit and how he empowers us to do that which you've called us to, both personally or maybe just within the, uh, our role in the church, but also in the, over, uh, the overarching scope of the gospel ministry that you're, uh, that you're about pushing forward into the world. That, Father, you empower us to do those things that help people know you and to know you better and ultimately to be saved. We uh, thank you for the good news, the word of the gospel that we share. We also thank you that you've given us the power to live transformed lives uh, that reflect uh, your grace and your glory and the power that you have to change a life. Uh, Father, we thank you that you've taken hold of us, Lord, by the power of the gospel and have altered our eternal destinies and taken us off the broad, broad road that leads to destruction and have put our feet on the narrow road that leads to everlasting life. And Father, we um, just pray that in the days between now and then, where very similarly we would ask, you know, when are you going to establish these things? Father, we don't know the day or the hour that Jesus will come and snatch away his bride. We don't know the day or the hour when the, uh, the kingdom will be established. I mean, I guess we can surmise those things uh, when certain other events happen, but Jesus will come for us at any time. And so we just pray that you'd help us to live in that daily expectancy and that that daily expectancy would fuel us to pour ourselves into that which you've called us to. Father, we thank you. We praise you and bless you. And Father, we just pray that you continue to bless your word and help us to learn it and understand it as we continue to read it together. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you'll feel free to contact me with comments or questions or anything like that, uh, both on our YouTube channel. You can uh, also go to our, my personal website at parsonspad.com or our church's website at Calvary Chapel Franklin. Com and we can interact via email or comments on the videos and that kind of thing. So I do appreciate you watching, and, uh, and I do hope to, that uh, you'll continue to watch with us as we go through this together. And until the next time, may the Lord bless you.